Well, last week we unveiled a pretty big announcement, so, so big, in fact, that uh, if you've maybe been living under a rock, you haven't been checking your email, you haven't been looking on social media, you didn't join us last week, if you call this place your church home, I, I'm going to really implore you to visit grumlaw.com slash merger uh, and go there and kind of read about it. There's a video on there. Uh, watch about it. It's pretty big news that kind of affects all of us. Uh, really exciting news regarding the future of this church. And so again, if you weren't here last week, please make sure you go to grumlaw.com slash merger so you can catch yourself up to speed you're definitely going to want to be in the know on this particular thing. So uh, we kind of thought to ourselves as, as we enter into this new series here this morning, if everybody wasn't already unsettled by last week's news, uh, let's make sure we really stir the pot by jumping into a three-part series surrounding religion and politics. And I'm not even kidding. Uh, but my prayer <laughs> leading up to today, leading up to kind of preparing for this series has been that not only will this series make you uncomfortable because granted with politics, that's just kind of a part of it. Uh, I'm confident that, that if you do what Jesus is really imploring us to do in this series, it, it'll make you better and it'll certainly make the lives around you better as well. Uh, the title of this series, as you've likely already gathered, is Talking Points, and kind of the subtitle is The Perfect Blend of Politics and Religion. And I suppose that you can maybe decide for yourself at the end of these three weeks just how perfectly we blended these two worlds together. Now, uh, it's not lost on me, certainly, the minefield that I am kind of stepping into here over the next couple of weeks. But, but just in case you've missed it here, uh, we have an election coming up. In fact, in November, it's really not that far away. And Something else that's maybe worth pointing out, uh, division between people certainly seems more apparent than ever, at, at least certainly in my lifetime. And, and wouldn't you know it, the topic that arguably causes more division than any other topic probably combined is indeed politics. And the reason that we're going to be speaking on this over the next three weeks, and uh, granted, I I'm not obligated to speak on this subject. It isn't like somebody's forcing me to do this. It would have actually been much easier to just kind of turn a blind eye to it. But the reason that we're going to be talking on this subject here over the next three weeks is because, wouldn't you know it, politics have even caused some division within the church. I know, crazy, right? It's like, how could we possibly become divided about this stuff? I mean, aren't we all about love and Jesus? I mean, how could such a thing happen? And, and when there's this, this division in the church created by our current political climate, and, and that in turn intersects with the teachings of Jesus, and this so clearly does, I, I think we actually owe it to all of you to actually talk about it rather than just ignoring it because that might be the easier path particularly particularly in an environment like Grumlaw, where not all people vote left and not all people vote right. There is, as I have discovered, a blend of both sides and kind of everywhere in between on the political aisle represented here at this church, which, which makes this, mind you, an even more difficult and touchy subject. Here's, here's what I mean by that. If everyone who is watching right now, if everyone who would identify and call Grumlaw their church home was all voting for Biden, then I could obviously very much lean the entire sermon in that direction. And in turn, it would be met with a bunch of amens and that's good. And oh yeah, I love it. But, but see, I, as the pastor of the church, I, I don't have that luxury. I, I have to try to speak to everyone, not just one side of the political landscape. And so uh, maybe moral of the story is if you're looking for a church where everyone's the same and everyone believes the same and everyone thinks the same, I'm just telling you, you are in the wrong place. You have found the wrong church, which by the way, I, I am so, so thankful for. 
But, but, but I'm also just telling you, especially if you're in a, especially if you're in a home with a bunch of other people, uh, this is sure to make things a bit uncomfortable, but I guess at least we will be uncomfortable together. But, but here is why, in particular, this gets me really, really excited. Since not everyone who shows up to Grumlaw agrees politically, I think that we have an unprecedented opportunity sitting in front of us right now to model for our community, to, to, to model to those who are on the outside looking in what it looks like to disagree politically and love unconditionally. To, to disagree politically and love unconditionally. And, and my guess is that every single one of you probably Jesus followers and non-Jesus followers alike, you would look at this and you would say, yes, that sounds wonderful, that sounds so nice, but the question that I need to pose to all of you, and I want to say, don't answer this out loud, because the truth is, is that we all think that we have this figured out, that you're right and they're wrong. But, but, but throughout this series, I really want us to dig in and examine ourselves, examine you, not the you beside you, not anyone else, I want to challenge the Jesus followers, regardless of who you are voting for. And if you're thinking, by the way, that by the end of the series, I'm going to tell you who, who you should vote for. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that is certainly not coming, so you can just kind of exhale right now. But, but, but I want to challenge the Jesus followers to think a little bit differently. Here's the question. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you want to disagree politically and love unconditionally? And I'm not just saying tolerate people who vote differently than you. Not be nice with, a, with an eye roll. No, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? And before you're quick to answer this question, Keep in mind, this right here, creating a version of faith that supports your politics, that is what most people do. That is what most Christians do. I I could ask it another way. Are are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between your political party and your party's candidate? And again, I'm going to warn you, most Christians are not willing to do this. Now, what I happen to think is the good news for, for all of us is that uh, apparently Jesus saw this coming. J- Jesus knew that, that division was headed our way. In fact, you can pick up any history book and you will find out that, that 21st century Americans are, are not unique in their propensity towards division. I mean, that has existed for as long as humanity has been humanity. Uh, th- this is so extraordinary what we're going to be diving into today. At least I think it's extraordinary. A- after Jesus had his final Passover meal with his disciples... He, he prays a prayer, and, and fortunately for all of us, John records it for us. John is one of the four writers of the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books that we find right at the beginning of the New Testament. So, so Jesus prays this prayer, John records it for us, and in this prayer, he prays for all of us. He, he prays for you, he prays for me. But, but he also offers a prayer request. Now, if you grew up in church, you know what a prayer request is, right? The end of a small group, the end of your Sunday school class, Usually somebody will say, hey, do we have any prayer requests? And people raise their hands. Oh, will you pray for my grandma? She's a little bit sick. Will you, will you pray, you know, we're, we're traveling to another country next month. Will you pray for, for traveling mercies? You get the idea. You know what a prayer request is. But, but think of in that situation where it's like the disciples, Jesus sitting around, and Jesus shoots his hand up, and he's like, I have a prayer request. You'd be going, what? You? Jesus, you have a, 
you have a prayer request? Aren't you, aren't you God in, in the flesh? Like, like God in a body of a prayer? Okay, here it is. And so here is what Jesus offers us here in John chapter 17, praying to his heavenly father. He says, Father, the same God we talk about here on Sunday mornings, the hour has come. He says, the hour has come. That, 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 that time, Jesus is saying, that I've been alluding to over and over and over again, where I'm gonna be rested and killed and eventually I'm gonna be crucified, that for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be clicking for you disciples. That time has come. It's almost here. In fact, things start moving really, really fast from this point on. He says, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Jesus is saying, may, may I be such a light that when people see me, they actually see God the Father. God, they see you. And they recognize in turn who I actually am, which happens, by the way, almost immediately. If again, you grew up in church, you know how the story goes, that shortly after Jesus is killed on the cross, right, you know, the, the, the curtain in the temple is torn in two, there's an earthquake, everything goes black, and that, that Roman soldier that was guarding the cross looks up and says, surely this man was the son of God. But before we get to all of that, Jesus, he has, he has a prayer request, and again, it's, it's a prayer request actually for every single one of us who are watching right now. He says, now I am departing from the world. That they are staying in this world, his disciples, his followers, but I am coming to you. Jesus says, I am coming to you, heavenly father. And, and Jesus, again, he kept talking about this. And, and for whatever reason, the disciples, they just didn't seem to get it. He, he was alluding to it left and right that eventually, hey, he's like, I'm not going to be on this world for very long. We're going to hang out for about three years. And eventually I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm not going to be on this earth anymore. And for whatever reason, the disciples were just like, eh, we don't believe you. Or maybe they thought it was a parable. But, but then what Jesus says next, it seems to me that, that most Christians have missed this. It's these words that for whatever reason we have just kind of seemed to breeze by. And so uh, if you're joining us here this morning, you all are about to be some really, really smart people. He says, Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now, keyword here, protect them. Protect my followers. Now protect them by the power of your name so that... In other words, Jesus is about to unveil the purpose of the protection. He's going, God, this is why I want you to protect my followers. Now, what's kind of interesting about this is that Jesus isn't praying for physical protection. In fact, he's already kind of let the cat out of the bag in that regard, that eventually they're going to be arrested, they're going to be beaten, they're going to be flogged, many of them are going to be killed. It's like all of his followers looking at him going, okay, I, I wish you would have kind of told us that on the front end. And Jesus is like, I'm smart enough to know that if I would have told you that on the front end, there's not a chance you would have actually followed me. So, so, so Jesus, to make it clear, he's not asking for physical protection. No, no, he's praying for something that he actually knows is far more important than that. He says, Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be, read that word with me, they will be united just as we are. Y'all, this is hours before Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross. At the very end, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was their unity and their oneness. Because here's what Jesus knew. As long as they were in lockstep with one another, as long as they were lockstep with one another and their heavenly father, the world would take notice and the world would change. But if they ever got divided, if they, if they ever started splintering off and doing their own thing, if they ever stopped making the main thing the main thing, things would stall out. 
And then he continues, and as promised, he goes on to actually pray for you and pray for me. He says, I'm praying not only for those disciples, these disciples, these guys that I've spent virtually every waking moment with during my time on earth, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That includes you. That includes me. That includes all of us. He says, I pray that they will all be one, unity, oneness, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. He, he's going, I, I, I want them to experience a unity that I, as, as, as God in a bod, God in the flesh, that I have between you, my heavenly father, that same oneness, heavenly father, that you and I have, I want my followers to have that same type of unity. Now, now what's particularly convicting, convicting about this for, for us, and my, myself very, very much included, is that I rarely ask God for what Jesus asks for here. And it's especially convicting for me to think about as I process this, as I was preparing this message, because perhaps if followers of Jesus, people like me, prayed this more often, the world would be a different place. The world would be a better place. Now, I know what perhaps some of you are thinking right now. Okay, that sounds nice, Shay. That sounds cute. I mean, how very... Christian of you to think that we can all just get along and be one. I think that somebody even wrote a song about that, but, but, but come on, come on, shape. That's, that's impossible. It's unrealistic. It's impossible, but Jesus is going. You might think it's impossible, but he's telling you, I'm telling you, it is imperative. It, it is mission critical. This isn't, okay, well, it'll be nice if we got around to this or, you know, if you can make it happen, let's try to, you know, kind of get it in there. But if not, no big deal. No, no, no. It is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, which means we ought to be intentional, intentional about pursuing unity at all costs, in particular, even when and especially if it cost us something personally. Now, it's not lost on me that this does not come naturally to a single person who is watching right now. In fact, every single one of us, we naturally drift towards what is most comfortable and what is easiest for us. It's why some of you watch CNN. It's why some of you watch Fox. It's why some of you, you have that friend, when he starts going down that rabbit trail, you just tune him out. But, but I think this might have something to do with why Jesus prayed this for us, for you, for me, for the local church. He says, I pray they will all be one just as you and I are one. That again, I mean, think about the implications of that. Jesus is praying again that we would have the same type of unity amongst ourselves as followers of Jesus, as the local church, as he experiences oneness with his heavenly father. As you are in me, father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that, so that we can all just get along, right? No. It's it's actually much, much bigger than that. And, and frankly, it's, it's far more important than that. And, and iron, ironically, it has almost nothing to do with us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. See, the reason that Jesus was praying for unity, the reason that he was praying for oneness is because of what he wants to do through us. And, and may they be in us so that the world, the people outside the church, your neighbors, and your family, and your friends, and your coworkers, 
that those on the outside looking in would see unity in spite of diversity. See, there can be a lack of unity in the local church, and the church itself, it might still survive. But don't miss this. The will of God will not be accomplished through the church without unity. And may they be in us so that the world, the world will believe. The world will believe that you sent me. Jesus is going, if, if you expect people to take my message seriously, you ought to be at least getting along with one another. People are not going to believe that I am who, who I claimed to be, who I proved to be, if you guys as followers of Jesus cannot even get along with one another. Y'all, if we can't get along with each other as followers of Jesus, do you really think that people are gonna be beating down our doors and wanting to be a part of this? That there is already enough diversity. There is already enough opposition. There is already enough divisiveness in our world. People, if they're seeing that exist in the church, they're gonna be looking and going, yeah, I don't really need to bring any more of that into my life. Jesus is going, this is not some add-on. This is mission critical. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As in, we aren't going to have a lick of impact in our communities, in this world, unless we get this right. Jesus going, there has never been anything like this. And as such, if we get this right, this will grab the attention of our world. Nothing can stand in the way of our oneness, of our unity. He, he was actually asking his father, the same God that we come together to talk about and worship here on Sunday mornings, he was asking his heavenly father to nudge us towards what he actually commanded us to do earlier that same evening when he said that whole, you know, as I have loved you, you must love one another, but by this people are gonna know that you're my disciples grew up in church, you probably remember that, right? As I have loved you, you must love one another. Remember that? And and keep in mind, when Jesus uttered those words earlier in the evening, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Jesus is going, as followers of me, these are your marching orders. And, And so Jesus, after giving this new command, he's now pleading with his heavenly father, On our behalf, mind you, again, think about that. Jesus, God in the flesh, begging and praying for us that we would get this right. Says, I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus here is not praying. Don't get this mixed up. He is not praying for political unity. Jesus is praying for a unity in purpose, a unity around him because he was and is the mission. And and he doubles down reminding us that this is not about us. It is so much bigger than that. As we often say around here at Grumlaw, get over yourself. It's about the world around us. Everyone who is on the outside looking in. 
Jesus is talking to his heavenly father going, you and I both know that everything rides on my followers' ability to get this right. It, It rises and falls based on their unity, not their politics, not the culture or the language or the worldview, not around how they do baptisms or what kind of songs they sing or what kind of style they sing, or whether they're meeting in person, or whether they're still online. No, it all rests on their oneness, the unity that they find through Jesus, through me, he says. And again, if you're sitting here listening today, and this just sounds too good to be true, well, if I can be blunt with you, you're wrong. Because it happened. In the first century, Those followers of Jesus, they marched their rear ends into the streets with one purpose, to make disciples of all nations. And they had one message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king who came to reverse the order of things. He died for his subjects in order to create an on-ramp back to the Father. He created a way so that we might be able to get that right standing back with God because we have no ability to solve our sin problem ourselves. But here Jesus offered us a way that we can get that right standing back. And there was one command. Love each other as Jesus has loved you. He took 613 commands contained within the Jewish scriptures and he brought it down to one. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes on a Tuesday in November. The candidate that you prefer that you want to see in the Oval Office, they are going to win or lose based on how Americans turn up and vote on a Tuesday in November. The church will win or lose based on our behavior between now and then, based on how well we love one another, based on our unity, our oneness, or lack thereof. That's why, and Jesus, you guys, was so clear about this. We must not let anything or anyone divide us. Because remember, and this is staggering when you think about this, it was Christianity, not a political party, that shaped Western civilization. And by the way, if you think that's controversial at all, almost nobody disagrees with that. Even staunch atheists agree that it was Christianity that shaped Western civilization and laid that groundwork. It was the teachings of a rabbi, the teachings of Jesus, not our political parties, that laid the groundwork for our modern sense of justice and fairness and dignity, not politics. So why in the heck would we allow politics to divide us? In fact, and this is just kind of bonus material here, throughout our relatively short history as a nation, and it's pretty short in the grand scheme of things, haven't both political parties gotten it wrong? In fact, don't they get it wrong all the time? During our short history as a nation, haven't politicians from both parties fallen short morally and fallen short in their leadership? Haven't there actually been entire political parties that that have turned out their lights permanently because their party was well over? So so, so let me ask you this. Why in the world, as followers of Jesus, as followers of an eternal king, would we allow ourselves to be divided by temporary elected officials? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? 
which politicians are peddling over and over and over again, and we keep taking the bait, which, mind you, Jesus would remind us constantly during his time on earth to fear not. It was one of those common phrases that came flying out of his mouth. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And, And if you think that sounds utopian or unrealistic, let us remember the context that Jesus would deliver these words from. Knowing full well what lay ahead of him. His own arrest, he's going to be arrested and killed and crucified on a cross. So so come on, why would we allow a political view that we might outgrow or change or abandon altogether, divide us from a living, breathing you? The, The you beside you. The you next door to you. I mean, for some of you, the you that you're related to. The you that, by the way, Jesus saw fit to die for. So so why would we as followers of Jesus not fight for, struggle for, sacrifice for the unity that our eternal king prayed for? Y'all, it was the unity of the church that got the attention of the pagan world and eventually, think about this, the empire responsible for crucifying Jesus embraced him. So back to the question that I asked at the beginning. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And and for every single one of you, again, watching right now who would identify as a Jesus follower, I can with 100% confidence right now look at you and say, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for the church. After all, this is what our Savior, this is what Jesus prayed for shortly before he exited this earth. So in that spirit, taking from Jesus, Two suggestions that I have for all of us as we kind of begin this conversation and this journey with one another. First one being this, will you pray as Jesus prayed? Will you pray for oneness? Will you pray that prayer? And again, it's convicting to think about because I do wonder if followers of Jesus had been getting this right all along, if we'd been praying for oneness all along, how much different might our world be? It's as simple as this. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Let's read that together right now. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. And for our little faith community here in Michigan, I I can't think of a more appropriate prayer as we bring these two churches, these two faith communities together, as we bring Brent Venture Church and Grumlaw Church together, because I can guarantee you that Satan would love nothing more than to divide us right now. And, and, And remember, this is the prayer of our Savior who just hours later was crucified. This was what he wanted protection over even more than the lives of his closest friends. So pray for oneness. And then number two, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. Now, now some of you are thinking, I don't even know anyone who would fall into that category. Exactly. That's that's kind of the problem. And, And if I can maybe press in a little bit, that's why you haven't really learned anything over the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. 
It's why you are so convinced that you're right and those other idiots on the other side of the aisle are so wrong. I mean, I just don't understand how anyone could believe that. You just made a confession. Wouldn't you know it, there's something that you don't know. And I believe that if we do this, as followers of Jesus, we look for opportunities to love unconditionally people with whom we disagree politically. I think our light will shine even brighter because we're more divided than ever. And that light, it shines brighter in the darkness. So let's pray for oneness. Let's look for opportunities to love unconditionally those with whom we disagree politically. Now, I'm gonna wrap this thing up here pretty quickly. Got about a minute left. And I wanna kind of wrap up our time together by recognizing that, again, I know what some of you are thinking. Allow me to dive into some of your more suspicious thoughts. Some of you are thinking, okay, shape. I mean, that sounds nice, but... But come on, I mean, you, you don't actually believe this is possible, right? I mean, certainly not in the world that we currently find ourselves in, right? I mean, it sounds nice, but you kind of have to say this stuff, right? Because you're a pastor. I mean, you kind of have to peddle the things that Jesus said, but I mean, you don't actually believe that this could happen. I mean, aren't I being a little naive? To which I would say, no. Let me tell you what naive is. Naive is a first century rabbi from nowhere standing out in the hot Syrian sun with 12 young men, with 12 young men who had no influence, who had no power, no authority, making this audacious statement. Upon this rock, I will build my church and all the power of hell will not conquer it. That is naive. But he did. And it didn't. And all of us, every one of us who are watching right now, we're a part of it. And our oneness is the key to fueling it in our generation. So disagree politically, but love unconditionally. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray for that oneness. And make sure you keep coming back with us in parts two and three as we wrap up this series, Talking Points.